You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. You know, last week, uh, as many of you know, based off of social media posts, I had the great honor of being the keynote speaker for emergency management specifically at the NATO Specific Environment Summit, which really talked about the urban environment and dealing with civilian populations and learning about incident command and uh, ICS and uh, interoperability and all the stuff that we usually talk about emergency management. And so it was a really great uh, experience talking to NATO and uh, DOD, US DOD uh, partners about the role of emergency management what we can provide them and really what they can provide us and, and working together. Um, and, and it was a great opportunity because in the US we have the Stafford Act, which really gives us those delegations of authority um, and uh, you know that presidential authority from the uh, federal coordinating officer at the federal level. We also have the camera, the Post-Katrina Reform Act, Emergency Management Reform Act rather. And so we have the national strike team that came out of it, which is housed within FEMA, the National Incident Management Assistance Team uh, which is actually technically broken up into three teams um, or three components rather. And so we have this stuff in the U.S., but internationally, they might not have it. And uh, more importantly, if they don't have it, they might not be aware of the other people who want to be partners. For example, if they're doing sheltering operations, the International Red Cross, or if they're, they have their own road closures, who, who actually does, uh, who, who actually manages the roads. Um, we talked about that uh, with a couple of um uh, of our NATO partners who hadn't really considered that. And so just like understanding like our day-to-day -day doesn't really match their day-to-day. -day. <clears throat> and also the misconceptions around what emergency management is. I, I heard things from, oh, they're the paper pushers. There's the guys that get us water, uh, you know, these different things. And so they didn't really understand uh, what's happening. But, but on our side, from an emergency management internal, can we do better at uh showing our capability can we do better at uh, innovating our processes and the answer is yes we absolutely can we've talked about this 
you know, for hundreds of episodes at this point. Um, and uh, we've had, you know, key players in the game like Brock Long even say, hey, maybe we shouldn't call FEMA the Federal Emergency Management Agency because most of what FEMA does is like an auditing process, right? It's what I call, you know, John Scardina's uh, catchphrase is that FEMA is the IRS of disaster, right? Like they're, they're mostly a money organization. And um, you, you actually heard it from Joe De- Delamere as well. He said, hey, FEMA is usually mostly a, a hurricane organization. So like people have these, these different ideas of what FEMA is. And does FEMA represent the entire field? Absolutely not, right? It, uh, we, we have local emergency managers who if they tried to apply what FEMA does, it doesn't really make sense because they're actually in the mix. They're, it's their own home that's being flooded and they're responding at the county level. Or you're the emergency manager at a campus and you're dealing a lot more with the, the, uh, the man-made stuff. FEMA does get into that, of course, but not too much, right? When you're at the campus level uh, for a university or for a hospital, you're, you're looking a lot more at physical security. You're talking about active shooter. You're talking about you know any kind of active assailant <clears throat> and targeted attacks. And you're working with your law enforcement counterparts to understand uh, what those threats uh, could be. You're looking at hazard vulnerability assessments. And, and so really what you're doing is so much bigger than, you know, what we've, um, we've, been, uh, we've been addressing uh, historically. And when I say historically or when I say traditionally, I mean pre-9-11. Um, I, I don't want to make this sound like, oh, like literally five days ago, we decided to change emergency management. No, it's been changing a lot, right? And so <clears throat> basically what I want to do is I covered so many different disasters and topics based off of my presentation that they asked me to cover. I covered Surfside building collapse. Now you all know about uh, Joe Hernandez coming on the show and my experience working with USAR. Uh, we covered the, the Haiti 2010 and 2021 uh, earthquake. That's, you know, the, the mission still happening technically. Uh, I covered Hurricane Katrina and Ida, how they happened on the same anniversary. We covered uh, the Navy yard shooting, covered uh, wildfire responses covered all kinds of different stuff in that presentation and using interoperability as the the means to talk about AARs and lessons learned. And so really what my conversation came down to is I identified uh, at least five different areas and I wrote those five different areas down. Um, and I want to talk about those today just to get your brain starting to thinking, uh, is this a comprehensive list? Absolutely not. But it is a a consolidated list of at least five things that the emergency management field needs to be doing to innovate. Again, thinking, looking at a, a hard look within and saying, how can we be better and uh, how can we move forward? And so this is uh, the first slide that I, uh, that I had on my presentation was traditional emergency management is dead. That was the declaration. Traditional emergency management is dead. And when I say traditional emergency management, I mean, the, both the concept from our external partners of, hey, you're just paper pushers, or it could be um, like things like, hey, I, I'm, I'm retired, and so I'm going to make this plan that no one's ever going to use, right? I retired from my fire and police job, and so I'm going to write this, get this cushion job. And fire and police both know that now, right? They have to bring more to the game than just their own perspective. Um, and that's really because of the last 20 years um, of our field rapidly changing and technology is changing and social media increase and the understanding of interoperability, not just command and control, but collaborate and cooperate. So um, let me just dive down these five different areas. Again, not comprehensive, 
but five areas that I think emergency management can do better. This is based off of, again, the last 20 years, seeing all those changes, uh, you know, several type one responses, standing up, uh, you know, emergency management teams across the country, doing this part of Doberman, doing this as a Fed, local, state, and federal level responses, humanitarian, whatever, plus two degrees, okay? So it's not just like pulling it out of the air. This is like, hey, we've been doing a lot of data collection, and how can we how can we do better? How can we influence the field more? Okay. So, okay. Number one, uh, my number one thing that I said emergency managers need to do is create living plants that organize blue sky and gray sky operations. Now, what I want to see from our field and what Doberman is doing is, you know, ironically, they used to be called bricks, right? Uh, and I say ironically because now we have the brick program, building resiliency and community program, the grant program. But these plans, We've heard Roddy Melsick, you know, the basically the father of the modern day emergency planning process, call traditional plans like, you know, uh, door stoppers, right? These big plans that nobody ever looks at. Um, and it's because the, the uh, which is going to lead into kind of my second one, but the planning process is just as important as the outcome. I said that about a year ago on this show. A process is just as important as the outcome because. You know, you need to have an outcome, of course. You need to know what people's capabilities are. You need to have a plan. But that process and working with people before you get into a disaster and so the unique circumstances of the disaster or the recovery or even the, the, the mitigation um, process that might change, understanding how that works through that planning process, you're going to be able to be a lot more successful. I'd also love to see like emergency operations plans, for example, EOPs, um, for that to be the basis of, okay, if that's our emergency operations plan, then everything we do before, during, and after that needs to, um, needs to correlate, right? If we have identified an emergency operations plan through data and through, you know, working with stakeholders, which is my number two, then we're able to create tasks. Okay, for example, we have a gap of our civilian population not understanding emergency management. And uh, where do they go in an evacuation? Because, you know, we had a 30% increase of, of uh, residential structures in the last five years because this is a beautiful area, blah, 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 blah. And so we need to have better evacuation signs and better education. Okay, so let's create fairs. Let's do that kind of stuff. But then you have an emergency operations plan. Okay, we have a population that needs to be warned and evacuated. How do we do that? So those, that's blue sky and gray sky. So my number two is work closely with stakeholders. Um, so as we work closely with stakeholders, um, you know, I, Patrick McGinn called this out, and so I'm going to call him out, man. He's, a, he's such a good friend of the show. He was just talking to me yesterday, literally yesterday, about he's worked so close with his counterpart at another agency or another uh, nonprofit, and that when they brought in the new guy that was trying to learn the ropes, he was like, hey, if we're going to work together, we have that we have this MOU in place, this memorandum of understanding. Let's make sure that you know you're doing X, Y, and Z, and I can do A, B, C. And so both sides of the spectrum, from finish to start, you know, it's kind of a funny way to look at it, but we're working in tandem together. And he he talked about the huge success that came from that. So that's something to call out. Um, working closely with stakeholders understanding their their capabilities, asking things from them that you know that they can do. And again, on the same side, or a different side, I guess, avoiding asking for things that people just can't do. 
or having an expectation that's not realistic. So as you work closely with stakeholders, again, this was a presentation to our military counterparts, you know, they can understand that, you know, they have a very specific mission, the military does, um, when they're called out to support a disaster, but other people have other capabilities and what those capabilities are makes things a lot easier. For example, if we need to do air ops, we don't tell the military or we shouldn't tell the military. I think this is a Kevin Coleman quote. Hey, I need, uh, you know, five helicopters, three uh, C-130 planes, whatever. And we, we don't tell them. We say, hey, we have to evacuate this many people. And then they tell us how, right? So we tell them what, they tell us how. And uh, I think that's a great way to work uh, within that, that spectrum of emergency management especially as other people have different authorities and uh, capabilities. It also addresses gaps. In emergency management and understanding risk, you can't overcome every single risk. You know, we're, we're not going to live in bunkers under, under the ground. We don't want to. We're not the doomsday preppers, right? We're the logical people, the smartest people in the room who look at all the analytics, look at all the information and say, hey, oh, where do we pri prioritize resources, human and other, otherwise? To, to be successful. And um, as you work with uh, your stakeholders, again, you're able to identify together gaps that you're not going to be able to over, overcome, right? You'll still have hurricanes in your area. You'll still have tornadoes in your area. You'll still have a level of risk from man-made threats, right? And so if you can't stop everything, how do you, uh, you know, reduce that level of impact? How do you create a disaster tough community saying, hey, I'm not gonna be able to deal with this now, and in response, I'm going, to, I'm going to have to address it, um, which is different than mitigation. And we're going to get to that one. Mitigation is actually, you know, pumping the brakes. Um, but if you can't pump the brakes, then um, how do you swerve out of the way, right? Um, gosh, that was, a, that was a mic drop moment. Um, <clears throat> if you can't pump the brakes, how do you swerve out of the way? That's awesome. Okay, uh, number three. Now, I apologize here for looking at my notes. Uh, utilize technologies to predict and reduce disaster impacts. We have such an issue um, in our field and in the general public, to be honest, of data literacy. And the easiest way to describe that is my episode from a year and a half ago where I'm talking about data and how COVID data works and comparing that to weather data. Like the cone of uncertainty is a perfect name for it. Uh, for, for hurricanes, right? Like it's uncertain. Um, our data is imperfect. And if you're waiting for data to be perfect, or uh, ironically, if you thought your weather data was perfect, you have, a, you have a huge gap that you just identified that you need to learn about data literacy. And technologies can help out with that. For example, um, we can start applying artificial intelligence to do... Um, to do debris pile estimations. We can uh, get drones up in the air to get preliminary damage assessments. We can start doing some data science to do um, the probability of impact for uh, future disasters or cascading events in those disasters. We should be doing a, a data-based hazard vulnerability assessment that looks you know, at uh, roughly 36 man-made and natural hazards and the impacts to life, property, and continuity of operations. Um, as, as, uh, as I think I brought, up, brought on a, a couple episodes ago. Um, and then 
applying that with prudence, understanding that it's not perfect, but you have to use something. You, if you're, I, I saw somebody saying, well, we can't use data because it's not perfect. Well, you use weather data, right? Um, cue like dramatic music there, right? Like you're using something now. And our hope is that you're not just following your gut. You're following your gut as a sample size of one. That's saying my own personal experience. And the primary example of why that's such a bad idea is um, 1980, was it 80 or 81? I don't know. Someone's probably going to correct me there. Um, on um, the volcanic response in Washington, right? Um, guys on, on the side of the volcano, hey, we're evacuating everybody. Hey, I've lived here for 40 years, 40 years, right? Never been a, a volcanic eruption. You guys are, you know, out of your minds. Well, guess what? He's dead, right? Because he stayed on the mountain. It blew up. Lava came out. He was, uh, he was killed, right? Uh, we saw that with uh, Craig Fugate. Hey, write your name or not write, write your security, uh, social security number on your forearm in a hurricane because we're not going to compete you. It's too, too high of a risk, right? Uh, for people who are like, oh, I just want to stay. Trying to get people to wake up a little bit. So we, we've seen this in the past. Let's not make sure we, we adopt that same mentality that we try to fight against, right? Try to use situational awareness. Look at all the data that you have available. Understanding it's not perfect, but you got to make a call because doing something is always better than doing nothing, right, in our field. And so there's lots of different ways to do that. And my pitch to you is to embrace technologies to do that. Um, it, can, it, it will outpace your gut reaction in terms of success only because it's a, it's a tool that um, is, is used to process, right? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, machines are going to replace us. It's not like one of those Terminator, um, you know, concepts. What I'm talking about is using more tools in your, in your, on your shelf to allow you to, to be successful. So don't, don't push back against uh, technologies or uh, on data. Number four, mitigate, mitigate, mitigate. It's a fun way to say three times fast. Mitigate, mitigate, mitigate. Um, almost sounds like a horse. Anyways, uh, random fact of the day. Uh, okay, before, during, and after disaster, mitigate, mitigate, mitigate. Yes. I have seen too many times, and this is kind of the standard operating procedure still, is that people uh, go to get their hazard uh, mitigation plan that FEMA requires to get grant funding, but then they try to apply that after a disaster is hit. Whoa, you know, the disaster hit, and I'm going to use my HMP to get some funds to re help recover. Oh, and by the way, per FEMA standard, it's going to be close to, if not the same level that it was before the disaster. What? Um, that doesn't really make sense. How many counties have done that, right? If, uh, if you've been all over the country or you might be shaking your head, yes, like that's been your experience. But logically, mitigation is not that, right? You should be able to apply the other three that you've just get, gathered, creating living plans, working with stakeholders, using technologies to determine what your gaps are and use mitigation as a way to prevent disasters in a disaster, reducing the impact of the disaster. And then if you weren't able to do either of those, or if you did and you saw the disaster, right, in your recovery process, you should be mitigating for the next one. So I, I'm a huge fan of mitigation. I think that creates disaster tough communities. Um, 
And so like, that's, that's where uh, my thought process goes. Um, so we definitely need to look at that, take a hard look in our field of why are we waiting for a disaster to happen before we mitigate? And uh, I'm going to call out FEMA there a little bit um, for designing a process that uh, is encouraging people to wait. And, um, you know, even if you're talking about the BRIC uh, program, the BRIC program is competitive, right? Like that's, that kind of goes against our whole methodology of our field, right? The why of our field. Um, by the way, that's protecting life, property, and continuity of operations, right? Um, okay, the last one. Uh, I just called out FEMA a little bit. So this kind of leads into FEMA. FEMA's process has little to do with most of emergency management. They are largely a funding and auditing organization. Um, again, that's, uh, I, I addressed that in the beginning of this episode. Uh, FEMA, the things that they do well, and there's no discredit to the people who work there and they are a federal agency and their purpose is to allow those who are responding, uh, those who have direct assets that, that they're overwhelmed to be able to provide support. That's why it's a management assistance team. They're there to assist, which I can talk all day about uh, the difference between national and regional uh, IMATs, but really for the sake of this conversation is understanding that if you're in the business of protecting life, property, or continuity of operations, you're in the business of emergency management. Emergency being the you know, key word there and uh, you know, trying to corral that. So um, that, that often falls on our NGO partners. That falls on businesses like Doberman. That falls on you know, even Walmart um, is supply, supply uh, chain management, right? They, are, they provide a lot of logistics. Amazon is doing that now with water. Um, so you have all these different parts, all these different moving parts, essentially, who are trying to protect one of those or all three of those um, concepts um, and uh, to, to return people to normalcy. Uh, the best emergency managers in the world are uh, the, the ones that uh, their counterparts are, are, you know, ask, what are you doing? Because we never have a disaster, right? Well, it's because they've, they've mitigated really well. They've used data to, define, to identify their risks. They're working with their stakeholders. They're uh, creating living plans that keep, keep uh, you know, bringing that, uh, that risk factor way down. Um, and uh, I would say that the best emergency managers at the local NGO or um, private sector have to keep adapting what they hear from FEMA using FEMA traditionally as the, you know, quote, unquote, the standard, right? Um, saying, hey, wait, that doesn't really make sense for what I do. I'm, I'm at a campus. Okay, am I really creating an in incident action plan? Well, an IEP really is just an agreement between the federal and state partners of who's doing what. That's a little different at the campus, right? So I have to adapt that. Oh, what am I doing with my sheriff's department? What am I doing with... DOT, what am I doing with the Red Cross? And so it's like MOUs. And so you're trying to put this in like the FEMA framework. And that doesn't always make sense. But what makes sense is ICS, right? Of common language, working with those different partners, uh, trying to get the mission done together. And so like we, we had to like pick and choose from FEMA, but that doesn't really apply to everybody, right? Um, why are we picking and choosing? Let's create uh, something that makes sense for what you're doing. Um, so that's, that was my call out. Again, this is a call out to military groups who traditionally don't 
um, work with our side of the house, right? Or at least don't really understand our side of the house. So it was really my my whole conversation to them was about interoperability. Dot uh, mil PFI, um, if you if you know the acronym, um, which is how they set up um, their doctrine and how they move forward. And so what ha- ended up happening out of those conversations is a a lot of really cool experiences um, where I was able to go in there and. Um, they said, hey, like, I've never even considered working with stakeholders before. Um, hey, you guys are using drones. You're using uh, hazard vulnerability assessments. Tell me more about that. And so I, I had numerous opportunities to basically um, show off all my friends in the field who are doing some really cool stuff and um, trying to get us to do, um, you know, better protection of life property and continuity of operations. And so um, I just want to thank, um, you know, the, the, the DOD, specifically the Marines, for inviting me out to that conversation. Um, I would love to hear what you think about my five points. Again, that's creating living plans, working closely with stakeholders, using technology, mitigate at all phases of the disaster, and understanding FEMA's role versus your role um, in, um, in our field. And so if you, if you have ideas about that, if you... I'm sure there's going to be lots of people who think this is a comprehensive list. It is not. But um, despite that, I would love to, to hear some of your concept and your ideas of what you think about that. Um, to those who do traditional emergency management, who, um, who are uh, ha- pushed back on, on uh, maybe uh, learning or trying to look, look within, my only advice to you would be that you keep on trying to tell the public to be aware and to um, to do some self-reflection and to be better and you want that um, for them, let's make sure that we apply it to us, right? And um, go forth and, and, and conquer. We're going to be talking a lot more about this, I think, in the next um, several um, episodes uh, as we bring on um, other thought leaders uh, who want to address this topic as well. Um, I, on, on a side note, uh, I like asked so many of our NATO partners to come on the show because they had really cool experiences. Um, we're going to be having uh, not just the NATO from the mil- from the U.S. side as well. We had we heard a presentation about the Mumbai attack, the terrorist attack. That was really excellent. We're going to have him on the show. Uh, we talked about Stalingrad and about how four hundred thousand people were um, uh, were remained in that city during the World War II attack and how to deal with civilian populations. Um, we were having the guy from Coast Guard come in and talking about uh, ports and natural hazards there. Um, we have really cool presentations um, headed our way, or, or, or interviews rather, from the presenters um, at this conference. And so I'm excited for that. Tell me, guys, what you thought about this episode. Um, if, you, if you liked it, if you disagreed with my five areas that you think that, that I thought we could improve as a field, uh, if you disagree with me, if you agree with me, whatever, still like this episode, you got to subscribe if you're not subscribed and we'll see you next week.